Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazemeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good afternoon. And together we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today we're sitting down with Kate and Marius of Venison for Dinner. Venison for Dinner is an online business with the goal of teaching you how to make homemade things without the BS. Kate and Marius homeschool their five kids and live in northern BC, Canada. Farming, gardening, hunting, and fishing are all activities our whole family enjoys doing together. And Kate is a good friend of mine, so I'm excited to bring her on to the show. Kate and Marius, welcome. It's Marius. 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 Oh. Marius. Marius. I feel like I'm saying it with an accent. Uh, well, Marius. Marius. Like Mary yes, for sure. Thank you for having us. <laughs> I love it. I'm excited to, to dive in on... I kind of outlined like five topics before we hit record, but before we get into any of that, we want to hear how you and Marius started, like how this whole journey began for the both of you. And so take us back to the beginning. Like dating or business? Um, Wherever you want to start, kind of the joining of you two and then also like your lifestyle in general. I'm curious, did both of you grow up? Um the way that you're living now, or is this new to you? Fill us in. We met through mutual friends and started dating. He, well, he moved down to where I lived because we lived far apart. He lived where we live now. We started dating. One thing led to another and we're married and we have five children. Mm -hmm. But growing up, my grandparents had just got out of farming around when I was born. So there was rural roots, but my grandparents weren't farming anymore. It's a small island. They were sheep farmers. And there was, it was a rural community, but not really a rural farming community. Hmm. Not really much gardening. Like you picked blackberries and made jam and made pickles and that sort of thing. But it wasn't like we were growing a lot of stuff. That was Mm -hmm. the people you knew. That was the people. There's lots yes. of farmers there. You just didn't really know any. No. There's quite a In my there. teens, I got into it. And since my grandparents still had the land, a lot of the land and a barn and such, I was able to get livestock. And then through connections with my grandparents still knowing about farming and them having old friends who could help me. And even the vet was a childhood friend of my grandpa's. So he would help me as well. And... So that was a really firm start in me, getting started with animals. I just had so much in-person support. Mm, that makes sense. And for you, Marius, was it the same, a similar situation? I grew up uh, in farming country. All mm-hmm. my friends, all of my friends were farmers. Their dads were dairy farmers or beef farmers. Um, my grandpa was uh, has always gardened as long as I can remember, and we kind of learned from him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was always doing that sort of stuff. Not to the extent that we do now, but it wasn't unfamiliar to me. I think a difference is that my family hunted and fished for sport. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they hunted and fished and gardened for sustenance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they enjoyed it and they're passionate about it. But there was a large part like, we can't eat well unless we do this. Mm-hmm. Whereas us, it was like, let's go on a fancy fishing trip because it's Mm -hmm. fun and we'll come back with a couple fish. So different socioeconomic levels there. Totally. Sounds like the foundation, though, of farming and hunting and some of this outdoor living 
was there, which mm -hmm. I'm sure helped, right? Because it sounds like, Marius, that you were really deep into this. Now, did you, did you, and then I'll ask, you know, I think, Kate, the same question. But did you want to be a farmer early on? Ah, uh, I wouldn't say I wanted to be a farmer. I enjoyed animals, working with them. You know, we had bottle cabs and stuff when we were kids, and we enjoyed raising animals. Mm. I didn't see myself, you know, just doing farming stuff. So. Mm -hmm. And Kate, did you grow up wanting to farm? Like, what, what would that look like? Did you have like a, I want to be an XYZ in your, in your mind? Mm -hmm. I really loved animals and that awkward preteen teen stage. I didn't have a lot of friends. I beat to an independent drum, which made me an oddball then and makes me really cool now. <laughs> I felt like the animals, they're always there. They're always happy to see you. So that was a huge part of me feeling grounded and balanced was having livestock and doing things with them. I think us both having grown up butchering, hunting, fishing, we are not uncomfortable with an animal dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of people are like, how do you get used to like when you raise your first pig or this or that? And it's like, that is, I grew up, you know, oh, dad just got home with a deer. Let's go see it hanging from the tractor. You know, that was so normal. It's reality, part of real life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's never something that has been an issue for us or our kids. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, that's something we talked about before because that's kind of how Joey grew up, but like definitely not how I grew up. I had no, no examples of real food production or butchery or anything in my family. You obviously grew up hunting, so it's normal for you. And it's like the sooner you can expose your kids to the reality of what it means to eat meat or animal byproduct, the better, you know. It's so interesting. So for me, it was, you know, a lot of a lot of it came the passions that I have today that I would say resonate with how we feed our family now. When I was growing up, I had, you know, father or grandfather figures in my life that I would, that me, I would look up to. And some of the way, some of the things that they would do, that these are the things they would do, right? So my, my grandfather, on my mom's side, um, grew up a farmer and he just couldn't get it out of his system. He, he worked a blue collar job, ended up working in a, in a, in a Procter and Gamble factory, which is headquartered in Cincinnati. So that's, that's kind of like how we got into there, but would always, he always wanted to get back into the fields. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, raising animals to, I mean, I, I have his, his steel like cow milking bucket here today, but it, I, I don't use it for milking cows, unfortunately, but, but like that was his life. And we were even talking before we press record, just his, his way of living never changed. He just didn't always have a farm. And when I got a little bit older, he ended, we ended up starting a little uh, like a roadside produce stand. He would grow, you know, corn and vegetables and, and, and um, acres of corn, tomatoes, zucchini, squash, these sorts of things. We would all go out there as kids. I was homeschooled. So schooling oftentimes was just like going out to the garden. And then in the summertime, obviously it was just work in the garden, work in the fields with my grandpa. And, um, and then my dad hunted. And so his side of the family, uh, we, were, we were always in hunting. And so those things became, it's funny because I went through seasons. The reason I asked the question, if you always wanted to, is that there were seasons where because it was something that was almost forced on me, I really disliked it. Mm -hmm. And so there was times where we had like going hunting. I, I remember the first couple of times it was really exciting because finally I got to go with dad. 
And then eventually he's like, I don't want to get up early and this is super annoying. And, you know, we go out there and we sit around and I'm bored and I'm, you know, 13 and, and I just want to go like play video games or, or run around the backyard and shoot paintball guns, these sorts of things. But, you know, today it's, it's almost like as you mature and you look back on those things that have become ingrained, it's almost like a smell, a familiar smell. It becomes very nostalgic. And so now, now I'm kind of locked in, but, uh, that's, it's, uh, it's awesome. It sounds like for you guys growing up, these things were not only part of life, but like, this is what you did and enjoyed. Would that be correct? Yeah. They were part of your lifestyle and part of any holiday. Mm. Like, even though my parents could have financially afforded for us to go to Mexico, probably like that's my assumption. We were more likely to do things like go fishing, go grouse hunting, like I remember a big trip where my dad took my older sisters to Montana pheasant hunting. He was really into bird hunting with retrievers and such. And, you know, like <laughs> it was, they, they was, it was of what we vacationed around. Mm, that's cool. That's sweet. Explain, like fast forward now, take us to what your homestead setup looks like now. Obviously you said you had five kids, but then animals, how many acres of land are you operating? What does that look like now? Chaos. <laughs> in 2018, we bought 34 acres. That was set up as kind of sheep and chicken. <laughs> also built by short people. You hit your head on oh. a lot of things. Marius and I are both like taller than average. Like I'm 5'9", he's 6'2". They are short. You hit your head on things. Anyhow. Mm -hmm. We have pigs, milk cows, chickens, dogs, cats and milk goats and quail and right there's quail too you raise quail what, what does that look like they're small <laughs> so <laughs> marius wanted quail because he had pickled quail eggs once once and they were just perfect on homemade ramen mm. so then it became this whole bougie thing where he needed his own quail so i got him some quail and they, the next year, then we hatched our own quail and we had piles of quail and then the kids, um, left a gate open and we lost most of our quail. Oh no. And then, so we had about 15 over winter and we were like, you know what? This is just like, we could be using this pen for chicks. It's an insulated chicken coop. We don't need to be using this for quail, right? We're kind of over the pickled quail egg stage and... Mm -hmm. Then the quail, they noticed this and they started laying like more than they had ever laid before. And then one of our pigs, so we have this breed of pig called Cooney Cooney that's like this big mm -hmm. and they're a grazing pig and they're slow growing, but they're known culinary for really good taste wow. and they don't root up and destroy pastures in the same way. Anyhow, one of them got out and opened up the quail run and let out all the quail the kids found some apparently we have five left mm. and they're still laying well you have so, five left and you started with how many oh i think we started with 10 and then the next year maybe we had 20 or 30 and then we had 15 and now we have five it's fluctuating oh yeah that's sweet it'll go we butchered a few i feel like there's not much there to <laughs> they're more work than they're worth yeah the quail eggs are cute and fun, and they really don't cost much. They don't eat much. 
Yeah, they're really cheap to keep around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the quail are not poultry. They are categorized in the same as like someone having a pet bird. So if you lived where you couldn't have anything like that, they also are almost completely silent. They make mm -hmm. like little chirp noises. Mm -hmm. You could have them in your backyard for eggs and meat. Hmm. That's good to know. I didn't know we could have quail here. I I've I've heard of people raising game birds. I've always I, I, at least that's what I've called them, like pheasants, quail. Yeah. Um, what's that? What, I, there's so many. I just went on a dove hunt recently, and I did horrible. But yeah. the the um, I feel like dove hunting is one of those things where you either just absolutely get a million of them, or you get zero. And that's that that was my that was my experience recently. But can you tell them about your experience dove hunting? Did you go dove hunting recently? That you tried to shoot on our driveway. Yeah. It's, I, made it a personal bore with we got like two doves or something mm -hmm. and i thought i've never ate dove before so i got my 22 out i had a nice high perch and i took a crack at it and missed and it ricocheted and shot the window out of our shed and oh, no. oh my gosh yeah and then i said well i guess i'll leave the doves alone <laughs> that wasn't worth it yeah they're tiny little birds expensive dove right yeah, there. It's an expensive yeah dove exactly right there. So raising game birds, though, um, how? So you got them for the eggs. I was going to ask. I mean, uh, I have so many questions. Of are you now replicating said ramen? And uh, oh, like, so delicious! Yeah, I mean, you, you got the broth all figured quail out. Egg? They're so different than regular like chicken eggs. A pickled quail egg is the perfect ratio of their yolk is a lot creamier, mm. and but the white, you're not like now I have a big bite of white and now I have the chalky mm. yolk. Like it's such a different experience eating them. And when you have them pickled in the fridge, they're just ready to throw in your ramen. It's not like you now need to soft boil them to put them in your ramen. They're just, they're the perfect bite size. I've done them in potato salad too, instead of hard boiled eggs. Super mm. cute. I dig that. So we're, we're making ramen and we're making, you know, pickled quail eggs for said ramen. And now you are, is there like an age at which you harvest them? I mean, how, how many of these quail have you eaten at this point? I mean, I'm really curious with all the animals you have. I don't even think you finished telling me about all the animals because I was so distracted by the quail. Yeah. But um, have I think we ended up just making some soup with the quail because it was like there was like four we were butchering yeah, and the they weren't going to broth. make anything <clears throat> worth us eating. So we just made a really hearty broth and soup with them. I got it. Okay. Similar to like a dove hunt, you'd want yeah. quite a few of them for a meal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So talk to me again about the animals. I heard pigs. I yeah. Heard so we quail. have the Cooney Cooney pigs, okay. which they're, they're really neat because you can't push grain on them. You can't force them to grow fast. They're very slow growing, which is appealing to us because we're not in a hurry and we need something like that to feed all the byproducts from our milk cow the whey from cheese making, skim milk when you make butter, all those sort of things, you need something to feed that to. Otherwise, you're just mm -hmm. dumping it, and that feels like the circle is incomplete. Mm -hmm. So we were raising a few pigs, and every six months you're butchering, and you were just handling so much pork, and like as well as the milk, they're also like you're dumping a five-gallon bucket of grain to them, and it's just like this huge consumption. Oh, we raised them to sell, and then... Whatever people started raising their own During, a few years ago. In 2020, people just like because we're near the end of a um, a food chain, like a supply yeah. chain, we were very affected by a lot of supply chain issues. Wow. 
So people <laughs> took a lot of it and they were like, a lot of people were like, you know what? We have five acres. Why aren't we raising our own pigs? Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of that. A lot more people like, why don't we have our own eggs? Like, why don't we have our own? So that's really cool. But you, we either had to like change how we were doing things or just get out of selling it. And we decided to just get out of selling it. We ended up with seven pigs in our uh, I think like five or six. Five or six pigs. We ended up eating an obscene amount of pork. We're sick of pork. Wow, that is a lot. Um, so, uh, so pandemic hits, supply chain. We everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, the, the all the ships out in the canal. I mean, these these are the pictures that I that I envision when you say that. And and everyone went out and like started their own homesteads if they hadn't already, and got you know pigs and, and especially was... where you all are, are living. So our province is essentially, we're the most West Coast province of Canada, and our province is essentially a rectangle, and we are right in the center. And we're not Northern. Yeah, we're considered Northern BC, but we're really about right the center. So everybody from the lower part near the coast, the lower <laughs> mainland, there was a huge exodus of people who realized they could sell their house and buy up here, and a lot of people who were commuting a couple hours of driving every day it's an hour and a half flight from here to down there. So they could just commute Monday, come back Friday. Their family could live somewhere more remote, more rural, cheaper, mortgage, not have a mortgage, yeah. like that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. our that changed a lot of our where we live, but not not for bad. No, I don't think so. No, not at all. Lots of good people. Yeah. You just changed your plans. So you were selling food. I didn't even I didn't even know that till right. So you were you were raising and selling. Our goal was only to sell enough that ours didn't cost us any out of pocket. We had done that for about 10 years. Oh, wow. We just sell enough that what we raise doesn't cost us any out of pocket. get free meat. So we raise meat birds as well. Um, We no longer raise any of the commercial breeds. We breed and hatch our own because we got tired of hatchery birds like... This year, it would be great. (laughs) Next year, half your chickens die. Mm. And it's like, we just got tired of it. And they have like a deadline. You have to butcher this weekend. Or guess what? They might not make it to next weekend, right? Like there was the the Cornish Giants have a deadline where they start having heart attacks and leg issues and all these things. So we had no interest. And we were raising them in chicken tractors. We did them for years. Years. And then it just deteriorated. The quality of the hatchery stock started deteriorating. So we were like, you know what? Even if this changes the way we eat chicken, we are no longer comfortable with that being the chicken we eat. Mm -hmm. So we have hearty dual purpose chickens for our laying chickens. And then we hatch out and we eat all the biggest ones. And roosters uh, we eat all the roosters and all the really big hens and then we keep the mid-sized hens for next year's layers so why is that to those chickens so you, what the commercial chickens they have they've like been a, genetically engineered to grow fast really fast okay and it well, just causes the a ton of problems there's some of them there's different strains so there's some that are like six weeks some that are eight weeks and some that are like 10 weeks so how do you know if you have a genetically modified one? So if I go to the grocery store, how do I know which ones are which? They're all that. They're all that. <laughs> yeah. There is no, uh, they're, 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 they're not genetically modified. They're hybridized bread. They've been mm-hmm. bred, bred, mm-hmm. bred to get this perfect thing, but like they won't even reach sexual maturity. They will mm-hmm. die by then. Wow. They're that's bred to grow fast. 
big breasts. And get big. So ours don't have huge breasts, but we don't care. They taste amazing. Mm -hmm. Ours are more akin to a wild bird would be yeah. like. Mm -hmm. They're darker meat. Yeah. Mm. They don't grow to... They're delicious. Yeah. I was going to say, what's your favorite way to prepare one of your chickens? Are you roasting? Are you doing soups? Are you doing stocks? The exact what same you way you would do any other chicken. Mm. They're just—they tend to be smaller and a little bit darker. They tend to be mm -hmm. our we biggest. Some big, the male roosters yeah, grow pretty big. big. So when big you enough. raise Cornish giants for yourself, like the average market, like what's an average size chicken you'd buy? Ooh, like I don't know, four pounds. Okay, That's so that would be really small if you were raising failure. your own Cornish. <laughs> you're letting them grow to more like six to eight pounds. Oh, oh wow. wow! They can get bigger. They We've can seen get fourteen pounders before. Yeah. Like a turkey. 14 oh, yeah. pounders. Yeah. So that big. pounds in, isn't uncommon. Yeah. So six to eight pounds is the most common. So when we raise our own, we're still getting like four pounds yeah. would be a small bird. Our average would be six pounds. Wow. Yeah. That is bigger. Mm hmm. Makes sense. I, I just had no idea. That, you ready to raise chickens? No. But <laughs> I, I just I had no idea that chickens had this. this um, but it makes sense. Right. And, and, and I like how you explained it. And, and just to even reiterate, make sure I understand. It's not like they're being injected with like steroids that make them grow super fast and they die. It's that it's, I would almost compare it to like finding the perfect dog breed that's hypoallergenic. Right. Mm -hmm. You're like finding this dog that doesn't shed and you're going to you're going to have it like, you know, you know, hang out with, you know, this dog over here that, that is really pretty and desirable. And then they have a baby and you say, OK, this this dog here now is like a combination of these two dogs that has these attributes and as that goes down, 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 down the line, you eventually get this bird that grows really fast and you've selected genetics that are ideal for eating them and for them yeah. growing quickly, but they do not, they're not ideal for mm -hmm. like living for a long time. No. So there is rustic broilers. So that'd be considered a broiler chicken. So a rustic broiler are ones that have come into popularity more in like the 10 year, last 10 years. We have tried multiple different breeds of rustic broilers. They still, we don't have great hatchery availability for them. They're still not as vigorous and like a real chicken in the same way. Like, like our laying hens are totally different than the rustic broilers. But a lot of people are raising the rustic broilers. They do have a better taste. They, They're darker meat. They too. take a bit longer yeah. to grow. There yeah. is those sort of things. So you could seek out smaller farms doing rustic broilers like um freedom rangers mistral gris there's a few different ones okay so we've got pigs we've got chickens that are not the commercial chickens yeah um you called them gi um, cornish giants that's the the most common commercial meat bird is called a cornish cross or a cornish giant mm -hmm. okay and then you've got um quail yeah. What what else you got? What else you got going on at the farm? So, we have milk cows, which is like if we were to only have one thing on the farm, it would be a milk cow because no that is my very favorite. What would you choose? Chickens. <laughs> really chickens over the milk cow. Easy. Hmm. And you have eggs and meat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The milk cows sense. are nice though. They're they're good. So we have three milk cows, but they're not all in milk. The thing about if you want a continuous milk supply for your family is you need to have more on the go than you need and there's seasons where you have lots of milk and actually right now we're not milking anybody we're taking a break because mm. they're dry for calving they need a break before calving and we 
when we got our first milk cow, we were given this cow. Because the people were tired of milking and being tied to a milk cow. And they were like, hey, would you like our cow? And Marius had bonded with this guy over the love of raw milk because Marius had grown up on farm milk. We didn't know the term raw milk. Mm -hmm. Real milk? We just just knew it as real milk. Farm milk. You always called it farm milk. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because when you'd be at your friend's farm, it'd be like, oh, do you have farm milk or do you have the town milk on the table? Oh, this is farm milk in the jug because there's lots of dairy farmers. So Canada has lots of legalities about raw milk. So we just had this milk cow for us. And then one day someone came to pick up something and they were like, oh, do you sell raw milk? And we're like, what's raw milk? Like, what do you mean? It's just milk. Like, it's just milk from the cow. So then we learned it was a whole illegal thing. Ooh, yeah. But we hadn't been selling any. We had just been using it for ourselves. And in that, I discovered that my dairy-sensitive soul could actually consume raw dairy. Mm. So that spurned on a whole love affair with us having milk cows because I had always struggled with dairy, and now I didn't have any issues with dairy. Mm -hmm. So you were still drinking pasteurized milk from the store, even though you grew up from time to time having sampling farm milk from your friends' farms. Marius consumed lots. I had never had raw milk before. Oh, wow. Okay, so that was just isolated to him. And I That's... never drank store-bought milk because it gave me an upset stomach. I never drank milk ever. When did you identify it was giving you upset stomach? Oh, just like from when I was really young, I couldn't eat really? much ice cream. I couldn't eat. There was lots of things, cream, whipped cream, different desserts like that had cream in them. It would be like, nope, that's a stomach ache. No way. Mm, that's interesting. But it makes sense, right? Because it's not got the things in it to help you digest it that Mm -hmm. real milk would have right even recently my mother-in-law was like oh i'll make that dessert for the family dinner and i was like no i wanted to make it and she was like well i can make it and i was like no i want to be able to eat it yeah and she was like what i was like if you use your ingredients i can't eat it right yeah like i'm sorry but you use margarine and cool whip and such and even though i make the same dessert i use the real things right So, more work. Totally. How does your? It's always so interesting because the raw milk topic is such a hot topic, and people on the internet are wild about it, and they get so scared. And I want to know how owning a family cow gives you a unique perspective on the raw milk debate because there's lots of debate about it. What have you found? to be the best parts of owning a family cow and then what do you wish more people understood about owning a family cow i don't think that raw milk should be an an industrialized or a large process i think it should just be one person has a few cows that they're producing for their immediate neighbors i don't think it's meant to be a large scale thing Mm -hmm. yeah the byproducts from having cows are Good milk, cheese, cream, mm-hmm. manure for the garden. Oh, we got a mountain of it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much dirt now. That'll go in the garden next year. I think to have a milk cow, you can't just have a milk cow. You have to like for it to make the most sense. You need to have a garden. You need to have some livestock that are eating the byproducts. Um, I think people don't realize that like. While a milk cow is not our 
religion. Like we will live and die by taking care of this milk cow. Like she takes care of our family and we will do anything mm -hmm. to take care of her and make sure that she is well cared for. Like we have canceled family vacations. We have done things like that because when you commit to having livestock, like God made us stewards of these animals. We are in charge. We are not equals with animals. We are in charge of them. And that is a big, heavy burden that God has given us. To say we're equals diminishes our job in taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Are you, what do you, what do you say about cow health? How do you view cow health making sure that she is well? Are you ever scared of contaminating your own milk? How do you view all of that? Cleanliness is key for milking a cow. You lose, you win some and you lose some. Some days the cow's foot goes in your bucket right when you're done milking her and the pigs get milk. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's pretty good though. So we have fed raw milk formula to two of our babies starting when they were two weeks old because I can't breastfeed. So when you are feeding a two week old baby raw milk, you are so careful about cleanliness mm. because you have to be. But I think if your cow is healthy and you're in tune with your cow, in the States, you have to do a lot of disease testing before you buy a cow. In Canada, just because we don't have the population, like Canada is geographically bigger than the U.S. by a little bit. I don't know quite how much, maybe 10% or something. But we only have 10% of the population of the States. Oh, wow. Like it's something like if you have 350 million, we have 35 million. Wow. So the density of people and thus livestock and everything is a lot less so there's a lot, the different diseases that people deal with in cows, we don't have those. So that immediately helps you out. But if your cow is healthy and you are feeding it well and they have access to minerals and whatever, like... You can see if you have animals long enough, you, you get to know them. I see my cows every single day, many times a day. So when I go out there and I see, I can see when something's wrong with them. They just have the look. And cows, I, I find, are the easiest ones to know. I can tell by looking in their eyes if there's something going on. They have a brightness to their eyes that you don't really notice unless you spend lots of time with them. But mm -hmm. when that brightness is gone, okay, something's up. What is it? Mm -hmm. And I mean, they get sick just like people do. They get runny noses. They sneeze and do their cow thing but as long so as they have a baseline of good nutrition like yeah. humans they're very hardy mm -hmm. and they live outside they don't get to hide from the weather like they, mm -hmm. they have shelter but like the cold they're they're tough animals it's actually better for them if they're in an enclosed barn the rates of pneumonia and such skyrocket mm -hmm. if they have windbreak and shelter but fresh air they would do much better than enclosed mm -hmm. in a heated barn. Well, they get a good bed and everything. We make a nice bedding pack for them. But What were you going to say? I was going to say, it's so interesting even hearing 
them talk about about how like getting to know their cow and 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 Maris was like, man, I look in their eyes, I can see like the the, the, the almost like the joy that's radiating off of a cow that's happy and healthy and and like they're sneezing and they're coughing and and like even bringing up an example of the foot goes in the bucket. I mean, like I would never think of that. I'm sure because you've had it happen a number of times where you've finished milking the cow and it happens. You probably say some choice words and you know dump it in the pigs and walk inside and say, well, you know. And I'm just trying to imagine the whole picture here. But it's, you've <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> but that that connection that you all have is just normal right and and i'm speaking as someone that is and was quite close to their food for a long time but for dairy right what we don't know or what we don't understand as humans scares us right this is why when, when we, we, we we suppress things don't talk about things then they become a problem and people get angry and and you know this is how politics becomes such a huge thing is because people don't want to talk about stuff we can't talk about that and then and then it's just like festers and festers and festers next thing you know people get online where they can hide behind their screen and yell at people right and so you look at raw dairy it's just one of these things that people are so disconnected from their dairy yeah. they don't know cows I, and you know what i'll raise my hand and say I, i'm not connected to my cows i've had to i've had to go out and talk to people to ask them questions in order to hear things like this that help me better understand, man, how do I know that this is safe for my family, right? I don't, I'm, I'm not walking out there seeing the cow. I don't, I don't know her name. I, you know, I don't talk to her. I don't, I don't see the way she's moving around. I, I didn't see the milking process. There's a lot of trust on our end, mm -hmm. right? And we have to, we have to get to know the people and trust them quite a bit differently than, than, than you guys do. And I could totally see how if, if you're in that place, right? you start to have that that fear start to bubble up because someone will make a case for hey wow milk milk's got pathogens in it right i was seeing one of the comments on one of our recent posts of someone saying like don't feed this to your kids you're you're you're, you're pumping them full of pathogens or something and i was like i was like wow i'm just trying to imagine someone that that's coming to this for the very first time they've never considered raw milk but someone was so passionate and so scared that they posted on that saying you are you are pumping your kids full of pathogens, and I'm not knocking that person. I'm saying that person's experiencing something real. They're experiencing fear, and I think it's oftentimes when we don't understand a topic that we have a harder time, uh, you know, being comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And so, man, it's 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 crazy to hear hear you talk about like kind of knowing the cow, and all the ways you've seen milk go south. And I'm just curious, just that kind of help my own knowledge so I can become more familiar. What are some of the ways you've had to dump milk? Or like, what are some of the ways, have you ever milked your cow and, and thought to yourself, you know, Kate, where you're like, wow, you know, this was just brought in and there's something that doesn't look right here. And, and I, I don't oh, yeah. want to give this to my baby. So even one time, like we used to just have a milk bucket without a lid. And I was walking back to the house and I walked under the roof and water dripped off the roof into the bucket. And I was like, no, I'm, this is not okay. And in that situation, I can pasteurize the milk, which like if I needed to make a big batch of yogurt, I'd be like, cool, I'm just going to pasteurize this milk to make yogurt. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm like, you know what? I got a lot of milk in the fridge already. I just turn around and go feed it to the pigs. Mm -hmm. um, we filter the milk every time we bring it to the house. It gets put through like a coffee filter type thing. And that filter tells you a lot um, so we can catch something like mastitis a lot faster than a large farm can because our one cow or two cows, we see in the filter, there's this tiny, it looks like a tiny cheese curd. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, oh, she's got the beginnings of a blocked duct. And well, then... And you're hand milking them usually. So you, you can tell just with their body language if they, you know, kick you. Oh, they'll be grumpy Some, or they're, whatever. They're grumpy, you can yeah. tell something's they have, up. They have bad days too. So like a little cheese clot in the milk doesn't tell me I need to dump that milk. But that tells me that that cow has maybe something's starting for them. Maybe the last milking, someone else milked them and they held back. And then that, because cows can hold back their milk like you wouldn't believe. Um, so then I have this essential oil rich cream that it's actually used in commercial dairies too. Dynamint, Uttermint, something like that. And you go and you rub it on and it helps. And so you can get ahead of something like, like mastitis before it gets to the point that you need to use antibiotics. Mm-hmm. What is mastitis? I'm sorry. Uh, you don't like, know what mastitis is? I don't. I don't. A breast infection in a lactating mammal. Okay. Have I never had mastitis? I guess not. I mean, I, oh, it's so, so common. You'd remember it. You would remember <laughs> I get I get hospitalized with mastitis. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah very common in breastfeeding women and cows and all, and all kinds of stuff. Basically, something blocks the milk duct. Okay. So then behind it creates this traffic jam. And then um, it, the milk, then you start to get an infection behind that blockage. Mm -hmm. So that little cheese curd tells me a blockage is starting. Mm -hmm. And by putting a cream on, it helps clear the blockage before it becomes an infection. And mm -hmm. then it gets hard and red and swollen. And the milk that comes out is like disgusting. And humans get it too. Any lactating mammal can get mm -hmm. mastitis. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got mastitis that we're looking out for. Are, are there any other things that on a regular basis you're like, man, we're looking out for this? And I'm sure these things have become very normal and natural for you guys, but anything else? It's less about milk and more about like cow health. Chewing mm -hmm. their cud? Yeah, that they're like, you'd be watching to make sure they're not bloating, that there wasn't something they ate. Because a ruminant, a cow, deer, moose goat, sheep, those are all ruminants. So they have multiple compartments to their stomach. And they... Deer don't. Aren't deer a ruminant? I don't think they have multiple stomachs. I'm pretty sure. Do they... I think deer are ruminant. I think so. Anyhow, the point being, they have a pH balance in their stomach that if that P... If they... If you suddenly feed them something different, that pH balance goes off... And they get a big old stomach ache that can literally kill them because gas blows up and such. So it's this pH system in their stomach that you have to keep balanced by keeping them an even regular feed. Mm -hmm. Cow cows are incredibly tough until they're sick with mm. something, but they're super durable. Even our milk cows are less durable. so because, like the Cornish chickens. They have been bred for production. So we are breeding away from that. We are breeding into hardier crosses that can withstand more things. Like, cause we had one cow get sick because the spring grass was like lacking magnesium and she got wow. sick. Wow. And it was like, okay, cow, you got sick off of the wrong grass. Like let's. That cow, it's not if she's going to get sick, it's when you just kind of mm -hmm. count on that. But that she was has a delicate system. That was mm -hmm. actually really handy because we had to we learn a lot how to take care of these things 
through that one cow mainly because before that most of our cows we never had issues with them mm -hmm. mm, our island cows were never sick no. um, our first cows were raised on an organic farm <laughs> and they were raised in just a really great way that the milk cows we got never had issues mm-hmm and then this cow came along and blew up your entire plant. And you're like, I have to figure out minerals for my cow. Yeah. That's and amazing. To tie a bell on this. So we're, we're all, I mean, just to, in case people didn't know that we're listening, uh, Elizabeth and I both big raw dairy fans. We've seen it really like impact our life in a great way. Mm -hmm. And, and Marius and Kate, you both have been drinking raw milk. How many years now are you guys into the, you know, real farm milk game? 16. Mm. 16 years marius his whole life marius his whole life mm -hmm. and and just as like a i mean a, a fact here we can throw down how many how many times has your milk been a major issue in your family never it's awesome no one has ever got sick ever that's awesome well, it's just it's easy to keep clean too like when you're milking it you put it through the filter we brush our cows before we milk them nothing mm -hmm. falls in i mean little things can fall into the bucket but it's not hard to keep it clean. You mm -hmm. Just take your time and there's a process, watch out for and you follow things. the process. And if you're following the process and you're taking care of your cow well, you're not going to have issues. It's a it's a very old process. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think back to before pasteurization became a thing. This was happening all the time. Mm -hmm. People clearly had figured it out, oh, and yeah. so. I just, I wanted to kind of get that out there because I feel like we had talked about some of the things that, that, oh, we run through this filter, looking for the, which I want, I want that. I want that familiarity. I want to know, you know, what, what could and what does and sometimes goes wrong. I love hearing the story of, you know, foot went in the bucket or walking around with, without a lid and water dropped into it. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that could, that could be an issue. Right. And, and I just want people to know, like, cause sometimes it's like, well, you drink raw milk, you're reckless. And it's like man, a, a droplet of water off the roof went in the bucket and and immediately Kate was thinking, mm, this isn't the one. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I wouldn't identify that as reckless. Yeah. I, I would identify that as almost more well, conscious, more aware than just going to a grocery store and buying something and saying, this is good. I'm commonly uh. asked, like, my in-laws are scared that we drink raw milk. What should I tell them? And I'm like, do they eat salad? Like, have you yeah. seen the recalls? Maybe you should quit the salad. Like, it's crazy. I think it goes in the same line and kind of changing gears a little bit here with hunting. And um, and, and I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start, and I want to get. I want to get everybody else here's take. Um, I get a lot of. Um, I, I work in the city, so I'm, I'm very, you know, very, very different. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in the rural areas, right? And I talk about hunting or animals that I go after and it, and, and harvest. And I'm, I'm out there for meat as well, right? I, I don't care if it's got horns on it or not. Um, I will say getting a very pretty buck is something that's beautiful and I get excited. So I'm not going to say that shooting a buck doesn't make me excited. But at the end of the day, I'm out there because I want to bring meat home. So the, the, um, the question I was is like, man, it's, you know, this disconnection from wildlife that you must have or this lack of, of, um, of a heart. I, I can't believe you can, you can kill animals and like you don't care about, you know, other lives. And, and I oftentimes look back at these folks and I say, I think I care more about animals than you do, if I'm honest. And, and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like I can't talk to you. They'll walk away. You know what I mean? It's like, it's almost as if I've just blown up the conversation because clearly what I'm saying is incorrect. But what I'll say is I actually believe that. I actually believe, and, and, Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody here, but 
hunting for me is is um i'm not i never get excited to kill an animal i'm not like bloodthirsty i'm not i don't have like some like 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 want to murder the animal like feeling but like you know <laughs> harvesting a creature is a very powerful experience that that um it means a lot to me mm-hmm. it's not like i'm killing the animal just to kill it it's going to nourish my family and there's a lot of work that comes with it too so it's not just like for fun you know i'm not just out there killing an animal and leaving there is the whole family now has hours of work to do every time I bring yeah, uh, amen to that. An, an, an animal home. <laughs> and um, man, I'd, I'd rather that death for the animal than being raised in a confinement and, mm-hmm. you know, just waiting to, to, you know, have an instant death somewhere. Or it's poor natural death, which is often more gruesome than a Or like shot. a pack of coyotes hanging from its neck for two hours until it, it suffocates to death. Yeah, right? that's bad. So anyways... Um, you guys ever encountered this, you don't care about animals, you guys are murderers conversation? No. Not <laughs> much. Because... Everybody I know hunts too, so... Mm, they're in the game. Like online, I don't get it that much, but like I'm venison for dinner. Mm-hmm. You know what but you get I, into when you get there, yeah. yeah. I did get a couple comments. I did post a picture of me with a buck like when I was 15 years old and there was a couple comments like, Oh, sad deer. Mm. And I was that like, was it. Oh yeah. Those bleeding hearts. I tell you, <laughs> um, <laughs> don't even get me going on that. They, um, they go to the grocery store and they buy their meat. And what do they think that animal went through? They don't have a clue. Well, a heck of a lot worse. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you. So in Canada, when you buy hunting licenses, like your basic hunting license is $36. And then your dogs are barking. He's looking to see who's coming. Or bear. We've had bears. Oh, yeah. We've around. had bears hanging around. Okay. So you're $35 for your hunting license. And then you're $20 to $40 per tag. tag. Yeah. You want to get a deer. You want to get, we can get two bears. Say each. Yeah. Each. Like. You know, those are all, like, I just paid $35 for a moose tag, for a, sorry, not a moose, a bear tag. We buy a fishing license. You have to buy a freshwater license. You have to buy a saltwater license. A percentage of everything we buy goes to conservation. How many people you know who are those bleeding hearts, like Mary likes to call them, actually donate money to conservation efforts? Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah, probably right? not. Mm-hmm. No. But hunters Yo. and fishermen, like our family probably donates 100 to $200 a year between everybody's licenses every year. Mm-hmm. If, if people didn't have a grocery store to go to, what would they, they'd be looking at that poor little deer a little differently because they'd be really hungry, they'd be starving and it's either die or kill it. Drink its blood, tear its heart out, right. and eat it. Mm-hmm. It's for me. It's very black and white. But I grew up. You know, my dad gave me the keys to the gun cabinet when I was how old would I have been? Not very old in my early teens. I had to shoot things to feed my brothers and sisters, and that was just what it was. I didn't do it because I thought it was fun. It was like you got your pal when you were young. Actually, I guess I did. Yeah, you had all those things. In Canada, you have to have a hunting license, your core, it's called, Community Outdoor 
recreation education something like that. Mm. recreation education before you can get a hunter's number yeah, before I had then it when you I was can 10, have so. yeah and so then your pal your possession and acquisition license is what you need to take a course then to be able to buy a gun mm-hmm. um and then from there you can also get your restricted pal which is what you to be able to buy handguns mm. so when you're under 18 it's a pol so it's a possession only license you can't buy guns mm-hmm. but you can hunt with guns you can whereas like so he could hunt on the property around them without an adult there legally that makes sense let's talk about bear you guys you guys eating bear on a regular basis a lot so it depends on a good year the spring wasn't very good we didn't kill a spring bear but this fall has been great they're Mm. everywhere and they're Mm -hmm. yeah so for us, we have a really great local butcher. So we butcher most ourselves, but we have a really great butcher who does smoking and curing that we can get all sorts of things made. So bear, because it's not like we can get two bears each times four of us who have licenses mm-hmm. and it's not that hard to get bear. Whereas a deer or a moose is a, a lot harder for us to get. We want that meat to be kept in cuts. We want to enjoy that as cuts. So the bear will debone and bring to the sausage factory. Um, and so like we just got um, dried cranberry smokies made and honey garlic pepperoni um, and this dry salami, which is kind of like a farmer sausage cross summer sausage type thing that we use for sandwich meat or whatever. So we get things like that made for convenience um, for easy meals, for hunting mm-hmm. snacks, for that sort of stuff. Hot dog roast. Yeah, we do. Lo- we love having hot dog roast, but not one of us can actually stomach a hot dog anymore. Mm. Are you cutting your bear meat with anything before you turn it to sausage? Like any pork in there, or is it? Just they bear? add pork fat. They do. Okay. Um, I was I was wondering with all the pork you guys had, I was like, maybe they're just like cutting this this uh, bear no. down. They got so much pork in the freezer. Okay. But I did for the first time, because we got some really nice bears this fall, I saved a couple roasts and I made steaks and stew meat and I, and the back straps. And then I did save some that next time we pull out the meat grinder, I'm going to grind up some mm. as well. Partly because we want to try it. And also in doing keyword research for blog stuff, there is a lot of demand for bear recipes. Mm-hmm. What does bear taste like? It's like a... Depends what it's eating. It really find. depends on what it's eating. So we're really particular about where we will get them. We okay. won't get them when they're where they're like around people because then they're into garbage. So yeah. last we got three this fall and they were all from oat fields. Oh. And so they are like a little sweet. Like the yeah, meat. What would you compare it to? It's so mild. It's right? like the pork of wild game. Really? It's, like it's, it's a little uh, sweet, it's mild, it's very dark. Um, but it's like when I fried up a chunk of the fat to see what the fat was like before I rendered it, it smelled sweet. When you cooked so those kebabs from the island bear, yeah. God, you wouldn't have been able to say it was bear. Like you could have said it was beef and it would have been believable. Like it yeah. was just so neutral tasting. Yeah. It's just I have dark heard good ready. things. It's like a dark, deep red, purpley color, right? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very dark. And not not all of them, but mostly, yeah. It's interesting about the diet because I think that's that translates into a lot of wild game. 
if you if you find a deer that's near just you know gobs and gobs of cornfields that deer tastes completely different than the deer that's just like way out in the woods and there's no cornfields to be found mm-hmm. and um the the leanness of of bear is that there as well are they very lean creatures a spring bear is very lean a fall bear is fatter. They fatten up for hibernation, and then by springtime, their fat reserves are gone, and they got to go back and start eating. So we can hunt May and part of June for bear, and then part of April and September for bear. Mm, got it. Got it. So what else are you guys hunting? You can hunt into uh, September, October. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're getting ready to head out on a moose hunt mm. on Monday. Moose is by lottery. <laughs> So we have limited entry hunting. So you put in for, you pay $6 again, there we're putting in to conservation. You buy a lottery ticket, basically. It is a calculated lottery. If the odds are one to four that you get one, probably every three to five years, you're going to get a tag for it. So Mac, our oldest son, got a moose tag and, um, Marius and Mac and Hamish are headed out hunting for it. So you also, you have to put in like, you have to, when you put in your lottery, say it's a two month season, that two months is split into two week chunks. And then there's management units within our region. So Mm -hmm. like, are you putting in six, eight early season? Are you putting in six, nine late season? So there's like strategy there too on like when and where you want to hunt and and on the where, are you guys hunting your property or is it public? So oh, it's crown land. I mean, we could, if there was one on our property, we could shoot it, but. They're not really. They've, in the wintertime, they'll come in, like they winter down in the valley. We live down in the valley, so they'll winter down here when the snow gets too high in the high country. But there's no snow right now, so they're just all over the place. Mm. So. got to go looking for them. Our public land is called crown land in Canada. Okay crown land like crown because we are we are still uh governed by the queen of england or is there still a queen of england is it a king of england i don't know we're still technically part of that interesting yeah that's interesting okay cool hilarious (laughs) it doesn't actually play into our day-to-day life at all except for that the name for public land is crown land because Mm -hmm. the crown owns it Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you said it. I was well. It's called Crown Land, but it, it, the government is who man takes does whatever with it. Yeah, yeah. So like people can get a crown lease to graze mm-hmm. Crown Land. Makes sense. I'm curious a, on a day, maybe not day to day, so granular, but like on a weekly basis, what is your guys's work life? Uh, parental life, homeschool life, homestead life look like? Like what are some of your weekly rhythms that really work for you guys? Because you do have a lot going on. I mean, I think people listening to this show are going to be like, they raise all these animals and they hunt and they make cheese. Like it's just, I think for someone in suburbia or in the city or even in the country who's not quite as in this kind of real food, traditional food movement, it can feel a little like, what do they do? How do they have time for everything? Mm-hmm. So tell us kind of what your week looks like. I'm so curious. Number one, I'd say you make time for what matters to you. The amount of time it takes to milk a cow is the average time someone might spend scrolling on the toilet. 
I'm not even joking. One time I came in from milking and my oldest was like, I thought you were in the washroom. And I was like, I just nope. got done milking. Like, You're a fast milker. But even at that, like people waste a lot of time mm -hmm. in things that are not refreshing them physically, spiritually, emotionally. You are killing time in things that do nothing for your soul. So we are really busy, but then when we rest, we rest. Mm -hmm. Like we sit out on the deck without our phones with a tea or iced coffee or a glass of meat or something. And we just sit there and we chat and we look around at our farm. Like we're not just watching TV in the evening and wasting time till bedtime. Mm -hmm. our, our weeks change with the season. Spring, yes, that's summer, so... fall, you know, it's that, that time of year is busy, busy, busy. You're, you know, double time in it because winter's long, but it's things kind of slow down. You don't have gardens to water. You're just maintaining the things. We get all our firewood done in the spring, summer, fall. Like you kind of, it's quite hilarious. You spend, how oh, is it? Like, Most of the year preparing for winter. Yeah. How many, four, five months, six months Yeah. that aren't winter? Just going balls to the walls, getting everything done so that in winter you can eat food and be warm. <laughs> so let's, okay, so in summertime, we're not doing school. We have a garden. We have more animals in the summer because we've bred chickens. Things have given birth. We're, you know, doing that sort of stuff. We're not homeschooling. Um, let's say we are milking. We milked for most of the summer. In the morning, we'd get up. Um... So I'm the early bird. Marius is the one who will work till midnight or 1 a.m. He loves those hours when everybody is sleeping to work. So I'll get up at 6 or 7 with the kids. Some of them will go out to milk and do chores. I'm making breakfast. In summer, then we're, you know, maybe we're planting something. Maybe we're harvesting something. We have lists going constantly just to keep us grounded to earth. Yeah. And every week or two. Yeah. You revamp your list. Okay, spring has turned to summer. Okay, yeah. the spring list gets not thrown out, but you reshuffle your priorities. Okay, we got to get this done. We got to get that yeah. done. So, so we're working on all sorts of things. Change. And then, like mid afternoon, it's a warm summer day. We're getting our stuff done. So by three or four o'clock, we're all wrapped up. All the animal chores are done, except for evening milking. We've got dinner pretty much figured. And the kids and I will go to a lake or a river and just spend, within 10 or 15 minutes of us, we have so many amazing public accesses. Mm -hmm. So we'll go and we'll go spend a couple hours there, come home, have dinner, do chores, like, you know, milk the cow, little kids go to bed, and then we're outside working on watering the garden or weeding something or whatever. So... My hours are kind of like 6 or 7 a.m. to like 9 or 10 p.m., whereas Marius is like 8 or 9 to like midnight or 1. So we mm -hmm. kind of have a little bit of overlapping, but that works out well in a lot of ways, too. Mm -hmm. um, in winter, we're up in the dark. In some winter days, it's not light till 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. We're slower. We sleep in longer. We... Um, have breakfast, we do morning animal chores, we're doing school by about 9 a.m. Yeah. Marius is the main homeschooler. Um, you're done by about lunchtime, and then you guys will either work on some chores, 
Uh, we might go visit a friend or have a friend over. Play in the snow. Play in the snow. Lots of outdoor. The kids love to hike and walk. We ice fish. We do all sorts of things in winter. Um, a lot of the winter, there's some sort of hunting you guys are doing, like fall and winter, where they'll mm. be out and then we'll eat dinner a bit later or I'll eat earlier with the little kids and then... Into December, yeah. Yeah. After December, we kind of peter out. Yeah. So then two days a week, I have office days where his mom comes and takes care of the kids, and I'm at my desk most of the time, and Marius is then free to work on other projects that he needs to do. He still does school with the kids first, and then he goes and does other things, because mm -hmm. until we did that, we did a year of this being our full-time business of like, okay, you don't have anything to do right now, so... I'm going to go work and okay, now you don't, so you're going to go work. And it was like this constant bouncing back and forth of who was taking care of the kids. We didn't get much done. We also didn't have much anymore. downtime and didn't have much family time. There was a lot of whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. So by having two set days a week that I work in my office and I don't really work the rest of the days of the week. I might do bits of filming here and there if it's like day in the life type stuff. And I do Instagram on weekdays. But then the rest of it, I can just unplug and step back from that and focus on family stuff. Mm. That division, I think, is really the boundary piece is really important. I think everyone like knows in their heart and in their mind, like, oh, it makes sense to have dedicated time. But I, there's something that feels very chaotic. I know Joey and I experienced this. When you have family businesses, like you're not leaving your your house and going to a corporate job um, and receiving a paycheck, like you, everything revolves around your family working on it. And you want to have flexibility in your day and your kids are around and they see you working together. But then there is also this jumble of, okay, but like, when are we doing work things or when are we doing family things and what does it look like when those intertwine and is that okay is that bad is that good mm -hmm. uh, even this week i um had to take on a role that i don't normally take on which is like shipping out our products for his goods because my father-in-law's moose hunting in canada funny enough but like i wanted so badly to be like i just wish the kids would get out of the house because i have all this inventory i don't want them to mess with and I, my house is not set up for shipping because I don't ever do it. And then our middle daughter was like, Mom, can I help you? I really want to help you. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to lean in. And she, like, packaged stuff. She was putting labels on. She was folding paper. She was doing a great job. And I was like, okay, this is a moment I could have missed if I was so focused on getting my work done at a certain time. <laughs> but instead, I was kind of forced into incorporating her into it and she loved it and she had a great time i felt like i got to see a little bit of a different side of her you know i think kids being a part of family efforts is very natural i mean there's a reason why right school is off in the summer right that didn't that wasn't like well the summer is so fun for kids to play that was not <laughs> how that started right the way it started is exactly what you know marius and kate deal with right summer is like we're we're like trying to prepare for winter coming and we need all the hands we can get, right? You, you, you know, it's like, dude needs to go out and milk the cows. I'm going to go out and start splitting some firewood. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, like, mending the tarps so we can get them covered for, like, when the snow falls. Like, that kind of stuff has to happen. And, you know, I have to imagine that if, uh, you know, when, when the decision was made, it was like, well, when's the most ideal time to have help back at the house? It probably didn't go that way. It probably was like, 
my kid is coming home from that school for summer because we need the help at the house. Mm-hmm. And eventually schools just followed suit and said, hey, they're not going to be here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Ruthie is your middle, right? Mm-hmm. How old is she? <clears throat> She's seven. Okay, so Freya is actually our middle, and she just oh. turned eight. And it's that personality that, like, it's easier to figure out a job for her than to try and tell her you don't need her help. Mm-hmm. Like you just break her spirit when you mm-hmm. tell her that you don't have a job for her. Like she wants to help. She wants to be in there doing it. And it's easier to like figure out a job for her than to be like, no, just go do something else. And she's like, Oh, mm-hmm. like she wants to be there with you. They want to be there with you. And there you have to start with them at some point. But they just keep learning and they're watching you and they, they get better at it like we did when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And then, like Mac this year has been you know, very helpful. He's super helpful. There's things that we fully rely on him to do now and he does mm-hmm. a great job doing them. Do you know what was wild this morning? So Mac just turned 14. My hanging baskets are done for the year. They've been frosted. They've been now neglected. Like they're done. And on our before winter list is that the dirt needs to be dumped into some empty raised beds the baskets stacked and put in the greenhouse. So yesterday there was a couple that he was like, mom, I can't get to those because, okay, there's this funny thing where our empty beehives, we put them beside our house and we don't have bees this year, but now someone else's bees are coming and taking all the scraps out of these hives. So we have like a swarm of bees all day. So he's like, I can't really go there because there's so many bees there. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. So this morning he's up at like 6.45 with me. He looks outside notices there's no bees there. He goes outside. I'm like, why is he going outside right now? Mm-hmm. He goes, gets those baskets down, dumps them, goes and stacks and deals and comes back inside. And I was like, wow, thank you for taking that initiative and thinking that. I never would have thought to like do that early in the morning or late at night. And he just mm-hmm. saw like, this is my opportunity. This is when I can do it. That's sweet. Where the motivation I... is there too right now because we have a hunting trip looming and yeah, we've all been getting the to-do list really, really hard because we're going to be gone. So That makes sense. Been, so, yeah. so, Joey, when you said something earlier about how when you're about 13, you felt like you'd rather just be home, like sleep in, play video games, play Nerf Wars. Do you think you lacked ownership over hunting? Hmm. You know, it's interesting it was a one trip a year that I got. So we, we didn't live on property. We owned property in upstate New York, very, very close to Canada. It's like in uh, Baldwinsville, Syracuse, second area, at least uh, uh, not probably near your area no, of Canada. Opposite but um, it was a one trip a year thing and we had to travel 10 hours to get there and we'd be there for like 10 days. And so I think it came, it was a lot more of like the, the displacement, the, um, you know, all my friends are out of school because it's near Thanksgiving break and I'm leaving for 10 days and I'll come back. And that was probably the most, like most of the reason that I would experience that back in the day. Um, but when I had ownership of something, I think to your point, uh, that felt like mine, it was, it was much more exciting. And so funny enough, I, I didn't get it. I, there was no gun cabinet for me to get keys for, but uh, when I was between 12 and 14, I can't remember the exact age that I was, 
but that was when I received my first uh, 20 gauge shotgun as like a gift. It was like, now I have this. Now I always tell people, it's not like I was like running around with it. It was like, here's your gift. Now give it back to me and I'm going to go put it in the safe and, <laughs> and keep it protected. But like when I would go hunting, now I had my own, my own firearm that I could use. And that was awesome. And that totally changed the game for sure. Um, but that was something that like once I received it, I was super excited and it felt like I was more in the game and um, definitely had more ownership of of that experience for sure so to get a hunting license was it just like now i have a hunting license i had to take a safety course so it was it was a back then it was two days each day was six hours i had to go to this class and listen yeah. to this guy talk about you know don't all, all, the, all the ways you practice gun safety and then the different legalities and laws that the U.S. has for mm -hmm. hunting. So like here we can't shoot lead shot at game birds over water. Yeah, I'm guessing that's the same in, in Canada. Yeah. Things like that. Rules that you wouldn't otherwise know unless you took the class. Mm -hmm. um, but makes sense when you think about it. Like, hmm, a bunch of lead going in the water is probably not a good thing. But um, and and, and uh, different calibers in different states. So here yeah. in different states, there's different firearms you're allowed to use for big game and, and um like straight wall cartridges in in ohio but no no um no high-powered rifles so like no 300s uh 30 out sixes things like that are not allowed to use, be used in ohio but in indiana you can so in indiana you could use a 300 you know uh 30 out six 308 those sorts of things um but in new york actually there was there was no rifles allowed it was muzzle loader um shotgun slug these sorts of things so um, anyways, those kinds of things we learned in in uh, hunter safety hunter safety class. The island I grew up on, there is no rifles. <coughs> Was Only there really? Fire. It's a small island. It's a small island. It's a just safety, right? So even for a moose, then you were expected. There's no to... moose on a small island. Understood. Okay. I was <laughs> gonna say I was saying you're 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 How do you yeah, take that down? Um, a moose. I mean, you could with a slug for sure. With a slug, to... you could for sure get. Yeah, down. you could. You just have to get pretty close. Mm. Do you think that is what is leading? Do you think your kids feel ownership because of the way you've positioned your lifestyle and that is what is leading initiative? Like how can you translate your lifestyle and the initiative that Mac took to other families who maybe aren't on a homestead? I think for sure a lot of ownership. Like I asked them recently, would you rather not have a milk cow and be able to go places? or milk a cow every day and be able to make all these different things. And they're like, we're enjoying the break, but hands down, we like to be able to make ice cream whenever we want. Mm. Oh, wow. That's huge. And we can make our own schedule. That is one really nice thing uh, that we've embraced this year more than any other year is the ability to make our own schedule. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't have to ask my employer, hey, can I go fishing? Can I leave early on Friday to go fishing? Be like, uh, I'm going fishing. See you later. Yeah. As long as, you know, all your chores, everything's done, everything's caught up, okay, we can sneak away to the river for a few hours or something. So their big push right now is I'm going to be home with the youngest three, and they're trying to set me up to not have to do any large preserving to make sure that everything is as easy as possible for me because I have to do all their livestock chores while they're gone. So they want to make sure that it's as easy as possible because if I crash and burn, they got to come back home. Yeah. I'm having a little bit of like a glass shattering moment for my life here after we've kind of talked. So Kate asked me if I had ownership of the hunting. I'm like, maybe I, I think I did, you know, with the gun and everything. But what I didn't have ownership of was my schedule, right? As yeah. a kid at all. I, I, I couldn't choose to go hunting 
it was it was it was very much a you know I went to I had school you know around that age is like the only time that I went to private school and I'd get off the bus you know the whole thing and everything was very like regimented for me and um it's so, like hunting became like this obligation right especially because I was very good with a knife and so I ended up like having two brothers that wouldn't really do much because they they weren't as good with the knife or didn't show as much interest in, you know, culinary kind of functions. And so Joey um, would skin every deer. I did feel a little bit of resentment whenever I would show up because I'm like, we did this trip married one time with children. So I had to take the nine hour travel up. We stayed there for 10 days. I had a four month old baby and a by that time I was daughter. very excited, felt ownership and loved it. But anyways, and we had to stay in this tiny house, all four of us in this one like eight by eight room. And he would wake <laughs> up the baby every time he'd go out at 4 a.m. to go get in this stinking stand. And it uh, this is so fascinating because it started out in our marriage as hunting. I was like, Ugh, the same kind of you felt mm-hmm. when you were a teenager. I took that on because I was like, this is some bull crap. Like we have to drive nine hours to stay in this crappy, like little tiny room, not eat any of our own. Like mm-hmm. f- it was just very displacing. And it felt like men rule the whole week and women cook and clean. And I'm totally cool supporting the men in their situation but it wasn't done with grace and it and I was around a bunch of grumpy women honestly who hated their role and everyone was unhappy except for the beer drinking hunters and I am here with this tiny is this wrong I'm here with this little baby let it out and 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 a like you know preschool age child and I'm like, this is what hunting is? Just to bring back a couple like 50, 60 pounds of deer if you get one? And I was kind of like, this is kind of a scam. And it wasn't until Joey started hunting from home where he became friends with a farmer who lives in a neighboring state. So now they have access to 200 acres in Indiana. He also is now going to hunt the public park system in Ohio. He's got friends with neighboring. Like we don't own any land, so we can't hunt it. But we figured out how to not travel anymore and now hunting is this delightful experience where it's like the most we have to do is drive 30 minutes to see what you got because it's hanging at your father's house, right? So it's like it has totally changed uh, my relationship with the whole idea of hunting. Now it's not this begrudging thing anymore. It's like, oh, Joey gets to practice really hard all year, provide meat for our family. Our kids get to help grind it and process it and vacuum seal it and label it. And we've turned it from this like, weird once a year 10 day trip that uh, that's not where we want to be necessarily into more of a season long family wide endeavor would Mm -hmm. you agree i'd be interested to know how you see the transition of like me leaving and disrupting the family rhythms being resolved i'd just be interested to know if that if you feel that way but also um um, I, I I would say that I hunt significantly more now than yeah, I ever did. Yeah, you definitely did do. From like a time perspective, because it's more local, and, and yeah. the ten day thing was like this is it, and then we're done, and it's it's over. And it was now like ten it's, days of misery uh, versus know. like four months of like you're kind of gone all the time. <laughs> that's that's exactly it. They're gone all the time. They're gone all the time. Exactly it. Um. So the first winter that Marius was home. He would go out every day after lunch, before dinner, 
he would be like, I'm going to try and get a coyote at my friend's, you know, beef farm because the coyotes would go after the calves. I'm, you know, like once deer season was done, mm-hmm. I'm going to look for chaga. I'm going to scout for this. Like he was always going for something and I was a little resentful to start. Like, how can he just go? Like, I yeah. can't just go. Mm-hmm. But then I realized it was kind of the equivalent of like someone going to the gym. He's going out for a hike. He, it's not on our property. He does a short drive to somewhere. Nothing like, is far away. Though. Nothing's far away. It is so key for his mental health that he goes out into nature. He has to go scun, not scout or hunt for something like every day, mm-hmm. whether it's fish or mushrooms or deer or coyotes. Like he's got to go. Herbs. Yeah, even for herds, like, plants, he'll go, like, I'm going to go pick fireweed to dry. And I'm like, okay. You know, I know it's not... You asked for fireweed. Yes, it is. Exposed. It's about (laughs) what he's hunting, but it's also just about him needing to just go be in nature. Yeah. I love hunting, fishing. Absolutely love it. Foraging. Live live for it. A lot of it, for me, um, the thrill of the chase. Mm Mm-hmm is more rewarding for me than actually pulling the trigger. Mm -hmm. I enjoy all the steps involved, the butchering, the gutting it, dragging it out of the bush, throwing its carcass in the vehicle. For me, the actual act of hunting for it and seeing if I can outsmart it and play the wind, sneak up on it. I always try to get as close as I can. Mm. That is, I've, I've had seasons where I didn't kill anything. But I, I got close and I saw things and I, I decided I did. I'm not pulling the trigger on that. I'm that's not what I'm shooting today. Mm. And for me, that's the, my my favorite part. So and it's with everything, fishing, finding mushrooms, anything like that. Mm. And that's actually after. So I shot a bear this year and I haven't shot a large game animal since I was pregnant with our oldest. I had done lots of hunting. I have never actually got to the point where I got something in my crosshairs. And our second oldest son got his first bear this year, too. And after I got mine, Marius was like, you know what? I'm kind of enjoying this shifting into being the guide. I really Mm -hmm. enjoy guiding you to Mm -hmm. getting one. That is a new role, and I'm enjoying it. And that makes sense because you love the thrill of the hunt. So you had already got your bear, and then you get to take us out. I've pulled the trigger many times, and put lots of meat in the freezer so you guys can have a turn but mm-hmm. the boys couldn't do it at that point they're just getting to that age where it's like yeah i want to hunt let's go get something i'm like all right you give her i'll bring you let's go let's go find something that's cool i love that too passing along things like that i would say <laughs> for me is also awesome we have a little hunting camp of 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 guys that we put together that we go out together um, ladies are invited. Just no one has taken the uh, taken the invite. But the 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 um, whenever somebody comes in that's newer, it, if they shoot, I'm having a better day mm-hmm. than if than if I did. And there's something about that where I, I I'll hear that somebody shot, and even if I ruin my hunt, like the rest of the time that I could be sitting out there, um, if they're ready to track, I'm like I want to go with you. For some, like tracking is like is like addicting. I can't I can't get over the the like the the um being able to like 
after after the shot was taken and then what happened next and like just just trying to like play out the scene in your head of of where this animal went and how you find it and and then and then the thrill of finding it and this person that maybe is just so overjoyed just kind of be able to be there and experience that Mm -hmm. it's awesome i absolutely absolutely love it so much and a lot of these guys are for the first time experiencing That's what I'm saying. It's everything. like their first time and I get to be there and, and then I get to tell them how to how to field dress an animal. And every time I tell them the first thing we do, they're always like, well, I guess you could kind of tell me anything at this point, right? And it's, it's um, anyways, we won't go any further into yeah, that. Yeah, don't but. say it on the podcast. Um, Kate, do you have an equivalent thing that fills your cup? Maybe it's milking. I don't know what it is for I you. really love milking. Okay. I love milking. I like milking solo. I also like going out. My kids love coming out to milk. Um, the last month or so that our cow was in milk this summer, I actually bought some little disposable cups and brought a jar of maple syrup out. And the kids would come out just to get like some maple syrup in a cup and they'd fill it with milk and sit there and drink it with me. Mm. And the boys, one of my favorite things in winter is we go out and it's so dark out and it's snowy and like outside the barn lights you can see the snow and we milk and we sing hymns and it feels Mm. like God is in there in the barn with you in the dark and snowy and it's just such a lovely thing. Like Mm. reading books. I love reading books. I have really lovely in-person friends um, who have lots of children too. If if three of us get together, there's like 18 kids. Um, like we're the smallest family of my closest friends. And they're doing similar things as us. So they get the chaos. They get it. And actually, they also have milk cows. They also have they milk cows. They grow gardens. They homeschool. Yeah, they are all, you know, so there's a lot of that sort of thing. And even actually they leave on Monday and I texted one of them and I was like, well, my boys aren't going to be home, but how about you and your younger girls come over and we'll finish sewing that apron we started. So she's going to come over for coffee when they're done school. And, um, cause yeah, they started homeschool already. We haven't yet this year. You're a people person. I'm an extrovert. He's an introvert. Mm-hmm. I do a woman's Bible study once a week in winter that I go and we go to this little community hall with a wood stove and we sit by the wood stove and we drink tea and we, read the Bible and we cry and it's really beautiful and intimate. He doesn't understand how crying can be a good thing, but I'm like, I get do, it. Do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. You know, he's crying in the woods sometimes. Isn't nature just ever take you, take you by surprise? No, he's not. He's like, I don't shed a tear. No. Um, we talked about this concept a couple shows back and I often see, maybe younger newer relationships i don't know i don't want to categorize the household split of this 50 50 lie which i think it's total bogus but like love to hear your division of labor and how you leverage each other's strengths because the thing we talked about on the show is like we don't split our housework 50 50 or our family responsibility 50 50 we just leverage what each other's strengths is so maybe that means one person does a hundred percent of xyz while the other person takes on something else i would love to hear as a couple who's around each other a lot except for when marius is hunting um or in the woods i would love to hear marius sorry i would love to hear how you divide your housework and your child rearing responsibilities we're definitely not 50 50 split 
We also think that it is uh, simpler that like, this is your job and this is my job. And there's no like, well, I did it last time. So you do it this time. Like there's that, like we'll get into that and then I'll, we'll get bitter about it. Cause it's like, well, no, I milked last time you milk this time. Right. Whereas when it's like you milk mornings, I milk nights. Right. Like there's a lot of, we just have very set things so that there's no discussion needed about it because then you start to bicker and justify and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. There's lots of things that you're just way better at that I am. And there's things that I'm better at than yeah. you are. So. Like I don't touch firewood until I put it in the wood stove. There is firewood for me to put in the wood stove. I don't take care of anything that leads up to me putting it in the wood stove. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Last night, Freya was up at 1 a.m. She wasn't feeling good. And he was still up working. And I was like, check on Freya. <laughs> like, I, like she had come to me like, mom, I don't feel good. And then he came in. I was like, go help her. Because he's already up. He's awake. He's doing it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But lots of things. Like I make most of the meals. Because I can make meals faster. (coughs) He makes really delicious food. But a pot of soup is like a project for him. Me, Mm -hmm. it's like throw it down and walk away. Mm -hmm. So I'm better at the fast meals for just busy days. you did it for so many years while I was off working. Yeah. That you were, like, I got good at what I did, but you also got good at what you did. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, yeah. But he makes really delicious things. They're just projects Mm -hmm. like he's the one who'll make fish and chips right whereas i'm the one who like throw in the pot roast and potatoes in the crock pot so we have food that night right like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that um i keep track of like household inventory like what do we need what do the kids need for winter do we have adequate medical supplies you know things like that but on that note i'll be like this is what we need i can't can you go get this for me? Mm -hmm. Because I struggled with masks. I was very pregnant with Amos during COVID, our youngest, and I struggled to breathe with a mask on. Um, So walking through stores was like, I was going to pass out. Mm -hmm. And I just felt a lot of anxiety um, around shopping with, when I was pregnant with Amos. And Marius is like, you know what? I'll take it over. So I still do some, but he does a lot. Like, I don't or, have to... Or we do it together. Or now, actually, we've kind of grown into this thing that our kids are old enough that, like, we'll be like, hey, let's go do town errands together. Let's leave them at home and go get iced coffee and go <laughs> go get the couple errands we need. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a house cleaner. I will say that. That is something, even when Marius worked full-time... Um, we had a part-time, like, once or twice a month house cleaner because I never could get the house cleaning to the point where I could put time into hobbies to do something to fill my cup. Mm. So we spent a bit of money to have someone help with the basics of house cleaning, and then I felt like I had time to do something that filled my cup. So mm. that was... One of my aunts encouraged me. She was like... This house the... is ridiculously big. Now we live in a huge house and it's ridiculous. And anyways, but one of my aunts encouraged me. She's like, by the time you feel you can afford to have a house cleaner, you won't need one anymore. Like mm-hmm. how much money would you need to save on other things a week to have a house cleaner once or twice a month? So we figured it out to have $160 a month to... That was eight hours a month of house cleaning. 
And that made a huge difference in our life. Um, and she needs to work too. Yeah. So I'd say we're very, <laughs> we're definitely not 50-50 people by any means. You do more of the outside stuff. Pretty much the day you came home from working full time, I stopped cleaning out and feeding and watering the cows and I haven't done it since. Yeah. I used to have to do all that. You milk, you know, you're more educated in their, their health and how things are going than I am. I make sure they got food, water. If I need to move them for two different pastures, I keep that part of things going. Mm-hmm. So, Marius split it though, I, chafes yeah. at having like a set, like the fact that there's a milking time, he'd like chafe at that, like that he had to do it at this time. He didn't used to be, but now in the couple last couple of years when he's had to milk because like I was really pregnant with Amos, he chafed at having that like set time. Mm-hmm. He would rather do the chores that like, he can feed them whenever, as long as he gets them fed. He can mm-hmm. water them whenever, as long as he gets them watered. He does it at the exact same time every day, but it's his choosing. Yeah, he's not told. And there's some he's autonomy not... there, right? Have the autonomy. He said he likes his done. freedom of his schedule. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I dig it. I mean, we compared it when we were talking about it uh, last time to, I mean, uh, I mean, do you guys watch sports? No. No, we don't either. We don't watch a lot of sports. I played sports. <laughs> I played and sports. I don't mind watching a hockey game every now and then. But yeah. But like, in, so hockey, for instance, right? You're gonna have a you're gonna have a, a goalie, a keeper, right? You call it a goalie. Yep. Yeah. Goaltender. And um, the skills and the, and the the asset that that goalie is to the team is not the same as like a winger or a striker, right? I believe we call them that in hockey as well, right? Left winger, right winger. There you go. And 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 so right, th- th- these these players they all serve the team, and you like, and they know the positions, and now, in some rare instances when it's called for it, yeah, you fill in for somebody that's around you. You, you it's still there's still a team aspect, mm-hmm. and that's what's key, right? It's not it's not necessarily like my job and your job. It's no. it's like you know, hey, you know what? These are these are things that you're better at or more equipped for or more present to get done. Hey, you're awake right now. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, one person's better at rearing the kids than the other person. It's just that you're awake and I'm not. You're there and I'm not, right? And so, you know, if you're in front of the goal with the puck, you shoot it. Like it's, 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 well, this isn't really my job. It's, that's not going to happen, right? I'm kind of proud of you that you switched so quickly to a hockey analogy because I don't think you know anything about hockey. I know enough to be dangerous. Oh, okay. I don't know anything. Hockey's pretty awesome. It's also very similar to soccer. soccer. It's, it's probably yeah. the most similar sport to soccer that there is. Mm. Yeah, but there's uh, only six on there. the ice per team for hockey. Very true. I mean, there's a different number of players. It's, it's six aside. And soccer's a lot more. 11 aside. the same idea. Get the, yeah. get the ball or the puck in the net yeah. on the other side. And there's a keeper. In the, necessary. 100%. There's less, you know, punching in soccer. It was but, just a really fast, like, real-time pivot. I was just saying, I was impressed. And, you know, some, some people have the gift of pivoting from one sport to another, you know, and others don't. You know, you can use whatever. But anyways, it's, it, again, the, the whole point of this is that having that team mindset is, I think, the key. And that's, that's where it comes in because a team mindset is not 50-50. A team mindset no. is 100%, 100%, mm-hmm. right? It's like, hey, we're both doing what we can do best to make this thing successful. Oh, yeah. And um, that's, that's outstanding. Love that you have a, a, you know, a you know, cleaning support yeah i think that's great makes me interested to know what cleaning support around cincinnati ohio looks like hey yeah our house is kind of small though i think we Um, had an 1100 square foot house oh wait before when you got the cleaner 
Yep. Really? Well, that's encouraging. Yeah, that's that oh, is on four the hours side. in an eleven hundred square foot house. Your house looks like new. You go out to the <laughs> library to visit a friend. You come home and your house is a new house. Yeah, that is. That's true. Very modest. Our house gets real dirty, like especially. <laughs> What's your square so footage now? Thirty-five hundred square feet. Oh yeah, that is big. She doesn't even touch our basement. I don't think she's ever seen our basement. She would yeah. probably have a jammer if she went down there. <laughs> yeah. She's a very clean person, very tidy, very good. Yeah, I. That's a big difference to move from eleven hundred to thirty-five. But uh, that's encouraging that you made that move when you had a smaller home, and it's almost maybe like more important to keep your house super tidy when you have to utilize your spaces all the time. Mm -hmm. I feel sometimes like that because our first floor is very open mm -hmm. and it's like the clutter makes me literally have a bad day. I think that's why this week has been hard for me. Anyways, I love Kate's suggestion of having a, home, a house cleaner. Um, the last like thing, I feel like we moved from hunting to homesteading to all these other things. I want to know what you're excited about specifically with venison for dinner, your online business, your blog, your YouTube, whatever element of it you want to talk about. I want to know what is exciting you about the future of venison for dinner or just one of something that you love and um, are excited about in, um, in regard to your business. So I'm more of the strategy and planning person and Marius is more like, hey, can you help me do this? Can you help me do that? Could you do that? Like, so I'm the one who's like working on the... I make sure everything has food and water. You do help with business stuff, but I'm the, I'm more of the driving force in the business. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on a kitchen skills course right now that will release so in October that I'm making a lower accessible price point because I want it to be really accessible to people like things you wish you learned growing up mm -hmm. and that just I think it was a podcast I listened to that was like you know what like I do so much in high level stuff like making cheese and making sourdough like what about the people who are in suburbia and just looked at a package the back of a package for the first time or starts looking at the cost per pound of different things and realizes they want to do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like you guys do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. That's outstanding. I love that. The uh, kitchen skills, we're talking like, like um, kitchen mechanics, like uh, um, knife cuts to, to, you know, um, peeling apples and pears and potatoes. Like, are, we, are we talking about the actual mechanics of the, of, of the, of the skill of it, the craft? Everything from like picking a good pot or pan, like how oh, to wow. determine what will be good for cooking with and what I like and don't like and like how to care for a knife. You're not throwing it in the dishwasher, like it. these sort of things, mm -hmm. but also how to cut apart a chicken and make broth and how to make your own seasoning salt because I think that most spice mixes are a scam. Mm -hmm. They're mostly salt, which is the cheapest thing, right? Like just the very basics, like how to make mayonnaise how to make a salad dressing, like mm. just super basic things, but I'm not giving, okay, I'm giving specific recipes, but I'm empowering people to use a formula. They're intimidating things if you don't know how to do them. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends who literally can make like all these types of cheese and everything <clears throat> has never made broth before. I'm like, I'm like as, as much as I can, I'm trying to get her there. She makes 
all, all her family's cheese now. Wow. She milks the cow every day. She has still never made broth. Wow. But one day she's going to make broth. What I love about that yeah. and why I think it's going to be so powerful, I'm so excited, I can't wait to see it, is the, the way that we in culinary school talked about the two kind of like buckets. There's recipes and then there's like, there's like kitchen skills, like what you're talking about, right? And kitchen skills provide you the tools you need necessary, the skills you need necessary to cook anything. Mm-hmm. Recipes, uh, everything uh, by themselves become very, they, they, they become kind of limiting, right? Recipes um, provide inspiration for flavor combinations, foods you like, these sorts of things. But recipes without the mechanics or the skills, now you're in a situation where, where you're like, you're very tied to a recipe mm-hmm. all the time. And, and you're exhausted, mm-hmm. right? Because you're like, oh my gosh, I got this recipe. I feel like I got to follow the rules. And like what you guys were just talking about, like, I'm, I'm just going to throw down in the kitchen and get some food in the oven. Um, it's so funny because that is something that, that I'm definitely in our family more capable of doing. And um, we, we had this running joke in our family that every time I would come home from work, not every time, a number of times coming home from work, um, Elizabeth, depending on how the day had went, would look at me and say, I don't know what's for dinner and uh, good luck. And like, we kind of walk away and I would kind of like go like, you know, to open the fridge and I'd, I'd look down and be like, okay, we've got like, you know, some zucchini. All right. We've got that. We've got uh, like eggs, you know, it felt like an episode of this, the, the television show chopped, right? It was just a, a basket of random assorted ingredients. I got to make a meal. Well, having the mechanics can help you figure out what you want to make, but having recipes helps you be inspired as to what things can go together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, Lately, the world is just very saturated with with uh, recipes and inspiration because it's pretty, and because it's the final product, and because it's and we're and we're really we're really missing that mechanic side, mm-hmm. that skill side, and so super stoked for that. Um, everybody listening needs to go check out venison for dinner. When, when when's that? When's that? Uh, My goal is like in a few weeks, mid October. I'm done all of filming and editing, and it's passed on to my VA who starts editing things and putting them together better and making them pretty so our goal is within a few weeks so this would be a video course showing people it's six weeks and i just decided there's a bonus module that's something i taught in my membership in my insiders club and it's like a drip like you get one week at a time that's gonna that's huge for the overwhelm portion because they're going to be able to consume it slowly and the fact that they can literally see you Mm doing it's going to be huge that's what everyone needs so then for every video i do i get a transcript done too because you don't always actually want to watch the whole video or you don't have good internet or whatever so i do a transcript any any of the paid offerings i do there's always a video transcript for those who just need to like skim through Mm -hmm. is course creation this is just a side tangent lots of people had questions about your business but is course creation one where does that fall in terms of things you genuinely enjoy doing for your business? Do you, would you rather write a blog, do course creation? Do you like YouTube content? Like where, when you're like, oh, if I could wake up today and do one thing, what, what would that be? I actually say I would prefer YouTube videos over all of them, hmm. but YouTube is like the least income provider Yeah, mm-hmm. out of all of them. Blogs, I struggle to play the game with blogging. Like, I want to give you a muffin recipe that you could use banana or applesauce or pumpkin or squash. Mm -hmm. 
and have a great muffin. Yeah. But no, you need to write the banana recipe, the applesauce recipe, the pumpkin recipe. Yeah. And I hate playing that game. I play it, but it's like, no, you just need one recipe. Why do you need four, right? Mm -hmm. But it's how you play the game. The course creation where I struggle with is making smaller courses and not like suddenly I'm like, well, I need to add this and this and this and this and this, and it becomes this huge beast of a thing. Wow. That makes sense. Because I can't help it. Yeah. And you're, that's kind of how I feel like you don't want to leave any strings untied. Like you want to equip people to be able to go do the thing. I can't tell you how many times I like share a salad and people are like, what's the recipe? Because they want to know the dressing. And I'm like, how do you not know how to make a dressing? Mm. How do yeah. you not know it's an emulsifier, a fat and an acid? But like, why would it? Why so would that's I what that? I'm explaining in the salad dressing unit. Yes. Like these are your oils. And now we're <laughs> using mustard because it's an emulsifier. So right. it's not about necessarily the flavor, but the emulsifier. And here is your acid options, uh -huh. right? This is what these are like. So that's the whole thing in like not just being like, and now we add vinegar, but understanding like I could add lemon juice, I could add balsamic vinegar, and that's going to, you know, that's going to change how my, the direction of my salad dressing, understanding the categories and not just the ingredients. Yeah, totally. I'm in with that. I'm very I dig excited it. for that. I do believe, right? That's those two, those two buckets working together. You can, you can learn the mechanics of making a salad dressing. And then when you get to go make food, you're very stumped. You're like, well, what, what flavors go well together? And then you, mm -hmm. you learn a recipe. You're like, you know what? This, like, like this, um, you know, duck, right? And I, and I, I, I yeah. want to create a dressing for the salad that goes with this. And you're thinking, all right, what goes well with this duck? And then it's like, well, there was cranberries in this. And so I'm going to make something a little bit sweeter. Well, balsamic's going to be great with that, right? So it's like, like you can start to make connections mm -hmm. uh, when you have that inspiration. It's like people are just chock full of inspiration and what they're missing is exactly what you're making. That's awesome. I dig yeah. it. I dig I love it. it. Anything else you guys wanted to cover or any questions we didn't ask? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we've asked a lot, of, talked a lot of questions. Is there anything you would like to say, Marius? I think I'm good. I feel like Marius is a classic example of holding your words for the highest potency. You know, is that how you view your parenting too? Because I feel like when you speak, you're saying like, it's the opposite of Liz. Everyone's listening to me ramble on and they're like, you should have more potency in your words and talk less. I need to be oh. more the, like Marius. The less you say, the more it means. <laughs> no, I'm saying it about myself. Oh, okay. Yeah. She was about to be like, who was it? Yeah. Kate was going <laughs> to go off on y'all. No, 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 no. I'm, I was just making that assumption because I, I really appreciate that about people. I just think it's funny because... Yeah. Kate and Marius, thank you so much for coming on. This is outstanding. I absolutely look forward to seeing the course drop and what that's all about. How and that the hunt, the moose hunt. I'm very excited mm -hmm. for you guys. Yeah. I hope you share. Oh, I really bit. hope they get one soon in the season. They have three and a half weeks to get one. Oh, yeah, well, that'll be huge. Deer season after that, so. This is true. <laughs> I'll be texting Kate like, are you alone right now? Are they hunting? What's going on? We can. Oh, we already had one of our team. older neighbors called. He's like, so? And I was how is the hunt going? I'm like, no, they don't leave till Monday. He's like, oh, I thought they left yesterday. He's like, already Everyone's called so to check in and see how it was going. That's sweet. Outstanding. Yeah. Well, good luck on your hunts. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you guys soon. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for having us. Said goodbye to Kate and Marius. And here we are. Sadder than we were before. 
because we're not hanging out with him anymore. Yeah, that was a great conversation. I feel like we uh, covered a quite a range of topics. Mm. Um, I really think her question to you was interesting about hunting. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about how we can build in some ownership into our own kids and just the tasks that they have around the house and how they might view those growing up and what it looks like to actually take part in a family mission versus be a part of a tradition that they feel disconnected to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. It is. Friends, you know the drill. You heard a lot from Venison for Dinner from Kate from Marius today. Go check them out on Instagram if you haven't already. Check them out on YouTube. They've got a kitchen skills course coming out soon. Definitely get on that. Venisonfordinner.com. Yep. Um, we also got stuff for you too. First and foremost, this podcast. Hey, you know, if 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 you're looking to support the cause over here, uh, we don't really talk about it very often, but hey, leave us a review. Give us uh, some feedback. We love that. Mm-hmm. Helps us. Uh, helps helps us be better and helps us, you know, with the algorithm, if you will. So, go leave a review. Let us know what you think. We've also got other things going on. We've got nutrition curriculum for you at homegrown underscore education. No, that's our handle on Instagram. Homegrown education dot org. We've got tools for you to use to get your kids into the real food game Mm -hmm. helping them learn some of the things that have helped you know uh marius and kate we've got hazelmeyer goods shopth.com where we sell coffee tea soaps sponges things household goods um get on that and you can find us on instagram homegrown underscore education and find me at joey hazelmeyer and you can find elizabeth or liz at liz hazelmeyer and until next time that's a wrap.